This is the place to be. I honestly thought there'd be three of us here at church this morning. So I'm just so glad that, um, that you, you guys are here. Uh, I know. Who's a little tired of people posting pictures of themselves in Bali and Greece? And, and so I'm happy for them, but I'm not really that happy for them at this stage. Um, I remember when I lived in London, there was, a, there was this thing that I found out about where you wouldn't have to go to work if you said you had a thing called seasonal adjustment disorder, which they would call SAD. Seasonal adjust- so you'd say, I've got the SADs, because basically it's raining and it's cold. And therefore, I'm not going to work. Well, I think this week I felt sad. So, anyhow, it was good to have some sunshine yesterday. Um, Kiralee, brilliant. Kiralee's first week on staff. Um, we're going to commission her. Yeah. We're going to commission you as a pastor when everyone's back from holidays and the place is full again. And um, we're just so grateful that you're on the staff team. So. Um, she will make herself more and more known and available. She's going to be preaching, service leading, um, looking after some of the life group things, pastoral care. We might have to give you a few more hours, I think. <laughs> um, so nice to have you on staff. Alright, I'm speaking today on the role of the Holy Spirit in assuring us of the love of God. Uh, now I'm aware, whenever you bring up family... We all have very varied experience, don't we, of family. Some of it can be very positive. Um, For some of us, when we talk about fathers and family and parents, it can be quite a difficult thing. But hopefully in some way, in glimpses or regularly, we experience something of unconditional love uh, in family in our own lives, either with our children or with our parents. But of course, the gift of God is that we who believe in His Son get to experience unconditional and unfailing love. So I want to start today by showing a video that's kind of a modern retelling of the prodigal son. Okay, it's a bit of a modern retelling of the prodigal son. And it poses the question for me, what does it mean to experience the unconditional love of a Heavenly Father? All right, let's have a look.
is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 says, The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's in love that we've received adoption. It is this love that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It is His Spirit within us that helps us cry out and know in a deep, deep way that we are part of the children of God. So it's the Holy Spirit's role in helping us to know that we are God's children and to encounter and be filled with the love of God. A love that is evident in our adoption into this amazing family of believers around the world. About two and a half billion people at the latest count. And a love that is made tangible or felt or assured by the role of the Holy Spirit in making it real to us. As it says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so God is not just a concept. God is not just an idea that we can study or think about or philosophize about. God to us is like a father. One who can be an experienced reality of love. Are you with me? Uh, the New Testament scholar Gordon Fee, I think we've got a slide for this. But you've got to get your head around this, but, but this is brilliant. You need to think about this. He says, salvation, as affected through the death of Christ, is the outworking of God's love. And this is appropriated experientially through the gift of the Spirit, whom God has given to us, and through whom we actualize the love of God in Christ. Is that clear? Right? What, what, what he is saying is that the love of God is a historical fact. It has happened. We are not left in the dark about who God is, what he is like, what is his character. Is he for us? Is he against us? It is most lavishly and expansively expressed through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying for sinners like you and me on the cross. Right? How do we know that God is love, that that is His essential being, as it says in 1 John? We know this because we look at the cross. Jesus, in love, pays for your debt and my debt through giving His life. He takes the punishment that we deserve. And He reconciles us to our heavenly fathers. The love of God is a historical fact. But as Gordon Fee says, neither is such love merely an object historical event. God's love played out to the full in Christ is an experienced reality in the heart of the believer by the presence of the Spirit. Are you with me? So we know God's love because of the cross. But then we also know God's love because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of Jesus pouring out the love of God and what has been done on the cross into our hearts. It is an experienced reality for the children of God. 
And to be honest, that's why it's, it's okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't watch that video because I had to look down because I knew I had to preach. But it's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh in church. It's okay to, to show emotion. And, and not always, but so, so often, when we laugh, when we cry, it is such a powerful move of the Holy Spirit at work within us. I remember uh, at my church in London 20 years ago when I was living and working over there, I remember one particular Sunday where I came in having not walked particularly well or closely with God that week. And the worship leader, a guy called Nick Drake, um, at the end of the service, he must have kept playing just for me. Because when I came out of what felt like a trance, I realised that no one else was left at church. <laughs> They'd all left quite a while ago. <clears throat> but as I worshipped, I had these waves of sadness. And then these waves of joy sweep over me. And that manifested as this kind of uncontrollable laughter. And then all of a sudden I'd swap into uncontrollable tears. And then I'd go back to uncontrollable laughter and uncontrollable tears. And it just went back and forth. Oh, I don't know how long I was there. Bless Nick, he kept playing. But I think what was happening was something like a deep reassuring of God's love over my life. And I think it's more than just a worked up emotionalism. I don't think that the chief threat in the Western church is emotionalism. <laughs> but this is about a deep knowing and assurance and experience of God's great mercy and love towards us. And it's the difference between being an outsider of a family and that of belonging, of being brought in, of knowing a permanent place in the family of God. And just like in our earthly family, we feel things deeply. You know, we grieve when, when, when relationships aren't good and we, we're, we're joyful when we are reconciled or we're together again after being away for a time. So in God's family, it's a heartfelt reality. Ephesians 1.5, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So what's all this adoption talk? Just a quick note. Look, have you noticed the language in some of these texts is very male? I just want to say, don't worry. Um, as in other places, the same author, Paul, interchangeably uses the phrase sons and daughters when referring to the family of God. So, you know, some of the language in the Bible can be a little bit archaic. Um, but for instance, 2 Corinthians 6.18 I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Right? That stuff's there all the way. Um, at Pentecost, when Joel is fulfilled and, and you know, they're, they're being baptised in the Holy Spirit, of course, it's the fulfilment of Joel saying, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Right? So this is, there's, there's inclusive language, but sometimes we just refer to the sons. But it's not just that. They're not just the blokes. Right. Now in the Roman world, when Ephesians was written, a wealthy man would want to pass on their fortune and their name. Okay? They had to get their fortune and their name back down to the next generation. 
If they had no sons of their own, or if the relationship was broken, what they would do is they would select one of their trusted servants who was often a slave, and they would adopt for themselves an heir. Can you imagine how a servant would feel about that? From rags to riches overnight. From being a slave to being a chosen son. No longer just a servant, but now an heir. It'd be like winning the lotto, wouldn't it? It'd be like winning the lotto. From a place outside of the family to now destined to inherit all the blessings of being in the family. So enlisting the riches of the gospel in declaring the reasons to give praise to God in Ephesians, Paul wants us to know that we, being chosen by God, have been adopted into his family. A people that will become the heirs to all of the riches that belongs to his name. A people that would take on the name Christian, which just means little Christs, right? We would come into this family of becoming little Christs. And a people who would take on the family likeness as we are transformed into becoming holy and blameless. All of this comes to us through the gift of adoption. And what a family. Wherever you go, you're going to be brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing to think that Greg and Karen and Millie, this time next week, will be with brothers and sisters in the faith in Bangladesh. Praise God. That is just awesome. And what do we all have in common? We've met Jesus. We've met with undeserved mercy. We came to believe that he is the Lord of all. And we became the children of God. It happens out of sheer grace. God chooses broken humanity and brings them into his family. Uh, the theologian J.R. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel affords us. He says adoption is a higher privilege than even justification in which God declares that we are not liable for the punishment that we deserve. Packer says to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is even greater. Amen? And so in adoption, God establishes us as heirs, as his beloved children. And in that we find a closeness, an affection, a generosity that is at the heart of any good family. Now, of course, if you know your Bibles, this idea of being a child of God versus being a slave with no permanent place in the family is found all through the Gospels. Uh, one of the places you'll find this, of course, is John 8. Let's have a look. Uh, in this discussion about who the children of God really are, Jesus says this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's a lot going on in this passage. Uh, it's this contrast between what it's like to live as a slave as opposed to what it's like to live as a son. And Jesus says that the default position of humanity is actually slavery, specifically being a slave to sin. And we know this, right? We know this about our hearts and the condition of our lives. You know, I've never had a particular issue with the doctrine of original sin. 
Because I know myself. Paul reflects on this when he says in Romans 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does that resonate with anyone? <laughs> it's, just, it's just the condition of our hearts. Right? So we're not born Christians. We're not automatically in the family of God because we have a great aunt who was once a believer. Right? It says here in John 8 though, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And the imagery there is the same. It's the image of a slave being redeemed out of slavery and into becoming a son, adopted into the family. A slave, it says, has no permanent place in the family. But hear this, a son belongs to it forever. Jesus sets you free into sonship. So go back to John 1. How does it happen? Verse 12. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It is a gift. It is undeserved mercy. Jesus comes and his mission is to seek and to save the lost. This is the great story of God. And he is sweeping up every tribe. He is sweeping up every tongue and gender and class and ethnicity into the family of God. Who will then bear his name and his riches. And we all get adopted into a permanent loving place as heirs to God's blessings. Sometimes when people talk about the story of the prodigal son, and I won't repeat that story now because you know, you know it in, in Luke 16. Sure. It's Luke 16, right? We're going to go with Luke 16. <laughs> the story of the prodigal son, they use such terms as the scandal of grace. Have you ever heard that? Scandal of grace. The idea being that in human terms, the story is shocking that a father would welcome back a wayward, disgraced, prodigal child. You know, in that video that we watched, you sense in the son a real unease about what to expect, right? I want to return, but, but what am I going to receive? Will I be cast away? Will I be forced to work to get my way back into the good graces? And yet in one sense, if we know John 1, indeed if we know the nature of God from the Old Testament, think Psalm 86.15, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. If we know this, then the prodigal son story is just the fulfillment of, of what God has always been like. You see, the son who wanders off, he doesn't lose his place in the family. He is still loved. Once you are in the family, no matter how far you may wander, if you come to your senses, you will never be kicked out or forced to work for God's love. Amen? I was thinking about unconditional love a bit this week. I 
and where I've experienced it. You know, what effect does having unconditional love in your life do to you? Um, you know, I remember when I was 21, I got the great idea of going overseas for six years, and the first year was in um, South Africa and Kenya, and I had to quit a good job I had at Johnson & Johnson, and my parents weren't overly stoked about me going and kind of heading off on a big adventure, and I remember at the airport, my mum and dad just said to me, you know, if ever you get in trouble, just call and there'll be a ticket home, right? That's unconditional love. What does that do? What does that do? You know, I never did get in trouble, or not too much trouble. <laughs> but having that unconditional love backing you and securing you, it frees you from fear. It says that in Romans 8, right? Slaves live in fear. At any moment, if you don't have the backing and unconditional support of an unconditional love of the family, then you're in the whims of fate and paying the consequences of your mistakes. But as it says in Romans 8, if you know you are adopted as a child of God, you need not live in fear. So what's the Holy Spirit got to do with all this? We're doing a series with the Holy Spirit, remember? Well, as Gordon Fee says, God's love played out to the full in Christ is an experienced reality in the heart of the believer by the presence of the Spirit. In the ancient world, when you were adopted into a family, you would often receive the family ring, right? It was a sign that you were an heir and that you belonged. It was a seal, it was a proof that you're an heir to your parents' name and riches. For those with a keen ear, you will know that when the prodigal son returns, one of the things that happens, the father says this, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Let's feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Did you notice the ring? The ring as a sign of sonship. Well, what is the sign of your and my sonship into God's family? Well, according to Paul, it is the experience of love that gets poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, it says, The Spirit of God testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, you're just going to know that you know that you know in the deepest place that you are loved and that you do belong and that you are not on the whims of being kicked out based on your behaviour that week. As it says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. In adoption, we don't get a ring or a certificate. We get a far better gift than assurance. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to reside within you and me. And it's why our spirit knows how to cry out, Abba Father, Abba Father. We are loved by you. We belong to you. So let's just finish with that idea. That God's residence in our hearts is our assurance of our adoption. 
For us as the children of God, we receive two great gifts upon believing in Jesus and becoming a disciple of His. Upon the repentance of sins and calling Him Lord, we receive the gift of salvation. And secondly, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through these two gifts, God in love is creating a people for His name. Amen. We're just going to watch one last video and then we're going to go straight into a time of worship. I was born in Hungary in the 1980s and this was at the time when the country was still under the communist regime. And what this meant in terms of faith is that it was not discussed, not at the workplace, not in schools, not at home. And I grew up with the notion that religious people were disillusioned, uneducated or just not very intelligent. In my 20s, I moved to England. One Sunday, a friend of mine invited me out for coffee. And it was really nice, but at the end of it, she said, um, I'm going to church now, do you want to come with me? And I really didn't feel like it. But then I thought, well, I have nothing else to do. I'll go along and if it's too weird, I'll just leave. And to my biggest surprise, the speaker that night didn't seem disillusioned or uneducated, and actually, some of what he said made a lot of sense. So that confused me. But at the, at the end of the service, they said, if you have questions about any of this, try Alpha. So that's what I did. I went along to Alpha, and I listened to all the talks, and um, I discussed them with my small group. And I must say, I was the most cynical, person in the group and I probably had most of the questions and I think I was quite aggressive in my approach but what really got to me is that they had loads of patience and love and they really took time to answer all my questions. I went back to church but that night was different because it felt like as if everything was for me. The sermon, the prayers, even the songs. And at the end of the service, the pastor said, I feel like there is somebody here who feels broken. And I instantly knew it was for me because I had been feeling broken for a very long time. But there was no way I was going to go up to the front. Then he said, or you could echo this prayer in your heart. And then I thought, and I thought Okay, why not? So I closed my eyes and I said, Jesus, if you are real, come into my life. And at that moment, the worship band started playing a song that kept repeating the line, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. This huge wave of emotion came over me and there was a huge warmness around my heart, like when a heart is being mended. And I never cry in public, but I couldn't stop sobbing. And I guess I didn't even have time to feel embarrassed about it. A friend of mine came over to pray for me. And I didn't know it then, but I know now that what happened is that I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't we stand together?